Recorded live. Oh, this is Michael Adams from Nothing But The Truth. My personal journey to find it. And it's, uh, once again, it's uh, March the 8th, 2015. And I'm going to be playing a recording that was done earlier this week uh, that you can find on YouTube. And uh, I don't spend a lot of time listening to this particular show, but uh, I like the gentleman that the interviewed. His name is Dave McGowan. And it's on Opperman Report. The name of the show is uh, Dave McGowan, Moon Landing Hoax. Now, Dave has done a lot of research on various topics, as the assassination of uh, President uh, Lincoln, uh, the F word, which stands for fascism. He's done a lot of work on uh, Laurel Canyon. He did, I mentioned it in an earlier show about uh, the book he has out right now called, uh, I think it's Weird, Weird Scenes in Laurel Canyon. And it's concerning the uh, <clears throat> late 1960s, early 70s music scene and how they uh, used that as a CIA operation to kind of derail the uh, war protest movement. Uh, and all these big-name stars all came out of this one particular area. In fact, the hippie movement did not come out of San, the San Francisco Bay Area, but actually came out of this Laurel Canyon scene. So not only were there a lot of musicians, but uh, famous uh, actors and actresses, and etc. So, but anyways, this particular one, we'll be talking about the moon landing hoax, and I find it a very interesting uh, discussion, and it's about two hours long. Um, the reason why I'm doing this for several—I want people to hear this conversation that they have or interview—and plus, there's a lot of like technical glitches through the show and that. So by me doing this uh, and pl- uh, playing it for you and skipping the five-hour commercials and all that kind of stuff, it'll save you a lot of frustration. There might be a little frustration be- between half-an-hour segments as far as me lining it up properly and all that kind of stuff, a little bit of noise, but I think you'll deal with that. But anyways, what I first would like to do is start out with uh, looking at critical thinking and looking at the definition of it. Now, for those who listen to this show, I imagine you don't really have a problem with it. But hey, let's talk about it again, you know. Let's just go over it a little bit. <clears throat> we look at the definitions of uh, critical thinking. And... There are uh, some of the various definitions. The process of actively, skillfully conceptualizing, applying, analyzing, synthesizing, or evaluating information to reach an answer or conclusion, a disciplined thinking that is clear, rational, open-minded, and informed by evidence. A reasonable, reflective thinking process on deciding what to believe or do. 
purposeful self-regulatory judgment, which results in the interpretation, analysis, evaluation, and inference, as well as explanation of evidential, conceptual, uh, methodical, uh, chronological, or contextual consideration upon which that judgment is based. Includes a commitment to using reason in the formulation of our beliefs. And for those who are not biblical Christians, you might be going, well, gee, uh, you're a biblical Christian. Does this all apply? Oh, yes, it does. (laughs) There's very little emotional this too, actually being a Bible-believing Christian, there's a whole lot of thinking and uh, trying to prove through history the prophetic truths that are in the Bible and know that Jesus Christ is really who he says he is. But saying that, this show is not about that. And it's... Uh, a little different a deviation from what the usual thing is on this show. Uh, I think you enjoy it. A nice little break from all that is religion. Although, ironically, there are many religions out there. And one is the religion of state. The state. And that the state is never wrong and is the closest thing to God that we know of. I don't uh, adhere to that religion. I'm not going to tell you folks what to or not to believe when concerning this particular topic, the moon landing. I hope that you enjoy this conversation, this interview that they have. They raise some very interesting points. And a lot of times, when trying to think, Sometimes the best way of doing that is either by reading a book or listening to a conversation and not listening or not looking at the images that flash before your eyes. For many times in our lives, especially in my lifetime, many of them are man-made in a studio setting. And so we question a lot of our, or don't question a lot of our, what is presented to us as reality. Now, at the beginning of the show, they deviate from the topic of the moon landing, and they talk about uh, the Boston bombing hearings, and there's some interesting insights that they have to share, just a little bit, and then it goes into the actual moon landing. Let's uh, look it up at the Wikipedia what uh, the moon landing is. You probably already know this. This is, you know, common knowledge. But let's go over it again and see what uh, Wikipedia says about the moon landing. A uh, moon landing is a arrival of a spacecraft on the surface of the moon. This includes both crewed and uncrewed robotic missions. The first human-made object to reach the surface of the moon was the Soviet Union's Lunar 2 mission and 
on 13 uh, September 1959. And I believe it was a camera. They also did, let's see what, let me look through it. I thought, I thought, I thought it was a camera, but it was. Uh, the United States Apollo 11 was the first crewed mission to land on the moon on the 20th of July, 1969. So we see that 10 years later almost. <clears throat> there have been six crewed U.S. landings between 1969 and 1972, and numerous uncrewed landings, with no soft landings happening from uh, 22 August 1976 until the 14th of December 19, uh, 2013. So uh, we have a big gap of time there from 1976. A lot of things happened that year, 1976. Last, uh, two shows ago, we were talking about that. Huh? Uh, what was going on in Argentina in 1976? Not that I said there's any kind of connection. There just was a lot of things going on that year. Um, today, the United States is the only country to have successfully conducted crew missions to the moon. <clears throat> and then it uh, talks about uncrewed landings. Uh, yeah, let's just read this stuff. Bear with me for another five minutes before I start the, the conversation that they have. Just that we, you know, have a little more uh, of a background that's present in our conscience right now. Um, I'm sure most of us haven't really been thinking about it that much lately. Uncrewed landings. The Soviet Union performed the first hard, unpowered moon landing so, first of all, he says unpowered. I don't know how that happened, an unpowered moon landing, but why not? In 1959, with the Luna 2 spacecraft, a feat that US, the U.S. duplicated in 1962 with Ranger 4. Since then, 12 Soviet and U.S. spacecrafts have used braking rockets to make soft landings and perform scientific operations on the lunar surface between 1966 and 1976. So a 10-year period there. Huh? The USSR accomplished the first soft landing and took the first pictures from the lunar surface on the Luna 9 and Luna 13 missions. The U.S. followed with five uncrewed surveyor soft landings. The Soviet Union achieved the first uncrewed lunar soil sample return with Lunar 16 probe and on the 24th of September of 1970. This was followed by Luna 20 and Luna uh, 24 in 1972 and 1976. Luna 17 and Luna 21 were successful uncrewed Russian missions. Okay. <clears throat> a little bit of a disparity, uh, contradiction there, but uh, 
I'll go with it. Uh, two uncrewed landing missions were unsuccessful. Luna 36 landed successfully. But its scientific equipment then failed. The U.S. Surveyor 4 lost all radio contact only moments before its landing. More recently, other nations have crashed spacecraft on the surface of the moon at speeds of around 5,000 miles per hour. I want you to think about that one. Often at precise planned locations. 5,000 miles per hour, really? These have generally been end-of-life lunar orbiters that, because of system degradations, could no longer or overcome uh, uh, perturbations of lunar mass uh, concentrations to maintain their orbit. Japan's lunar orbiter Hitten impacted the moon's surface on 10 April 1993. European Space Agency performed a control crash impact with their orbiter Smart One on the 3rd of September 2006. Indian Space Research Organization, the ISOR, performed a controlled crash impact uh, with its moon impact probe, MIP, on the 14th of November 2008. The MIP was an ejected probe from the Indian, uh, how do you pronounce that, Uh, Kandrian 1 lunar orbiter and performed remote sensing experiments during its descent to the lunar surface. <clears throat> now, uh, a little more here. Chinese lunar orbiter uh, Challenge 1 executed a controlled crash onto the surface of the moon on the 1st of March 2009. The rover mission uh, Change I think it's supposed to be Challenger. No, it's 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 the Chinese version of so like maybe Challenger. Change three was launched in the first of December two thousand thirteen, and soft landed on the fourteenth of December. So it took them about fourteen days to get there with these things. Okay, at least that last one supposedly. Crude landings, and then a little, I don't want to go into the, any of the, the in-depth detail, any of this stuff, so just want to, the general history. A total of 12 people have landed on the moon. This was accomplished with two U.S. pilot astronauts flying the lunar module on each of six NASA missions across a 41-month Time span starting the 20th, uh, 20th of July 2000, uh, 1969, 
with Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin on Apollo 11 and ending on the 14th of December, 1972 with uh, Gene Carnan and Jack Schmidt on Apollo 17. Carnan was the last to step off the lunar stuff step off the lunar surface. All Apollo lunar missions had a third crew member who remained on board the command module. The last three missions had a rover for increased mobility. Yeah. So First thing is, the natural thing to be asked is, why didn't they have the probes first to check all this stuff out to make sure that we could even do this? They're still once in a while sending a probe, although it's been many, 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 many years now. And the other question to be asked is, why have we not been back? And... Another question would be is, if you were given the opportunity to go to the moon, would you go? You know, very few places that mankind has ever went and explored do they never go back to. Uh, We can think of places like Antarctic. The deep sea ocean, right, of uh, um, miles and miles of ocean. Why have we not gone back to the moon? Now, this conversation should be very enlightening. It's not technical at all. It's just these gentlemen asking some critical questions. And I think you will find it as rewarding as I have found it. Let's check it out. So, all right, there's going to be a little bit of a pause here and a little bit of rustling, and then we'll get her going here. So, hope you enjoy it. Because uh, we got a really big guest, Dave McGowan. Dave, are you there? I am indeed. Dude, man, it's good to hear from you. Good to be here. Yeah, I've, I've been some, uh, or I was getting some uh, strange uh, audio anomalies on my on my end here, but it seems to have cleared up now. I don't know if, if you guys are. Uh, no, yeah, no, I, that on your end. <laughs> yeah, I had that at the beginning too. That was really unusual. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but I think we're cool now. Um, okay. So, okay, now, Dave, we invited you out to talk about the moon landing hoax. I know you've done a lot of research on it. Uh, so I have indeed, yeah. I, you know, I'm really curious to know, though, before we launch into that, given that, uh, you know, as a private investigator, I know you've worked uh, a lot of criminal cases probably, you know, alongside both defense attorneys and prosecutors. And um, I'm just curious to know if you have followed at all the first couple of days of this uh, Boston bombing uh, a fiasco of a trial and what what your take is on that. Well, you know what? Um, the only following I've done is I've read your post uh, that you wrote today 
uh, outlining, oh, really? yeah, outlining what you thought about it. And uh, I think you're on target, man. You know, uh, it, it's it's one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. Uh, and and you're yeah, right. I was just absolutely stunned that the, his defense attorney. Well, actually, not because there's other examples of that in my writing. Uh, you know, other cases, uh, similar cases that, that have been that that, that it's also happened where the defense attorney leads off the her her opening statements by declaring her her client guilty. I mean, she said, yeah, he did it, <laughs> but he did it for a different reason than what the state says, you know, basically was, was her argument. And, uh, which is, I mean, there's very clear parallels there. I know I can't think of them offhand. Well, actually one of them was the, the Boston Strangler case where F. Lee Bailey, uh, basically went in and, and declared his client guilty, uh, when he hadn't even been charged <laughs> with the crimes. Um, so there's definite parallels, you know, and, and, uh, and what are the odds that this that this gal who's defending him also just happened to be on the defense team of of Eric Rudolph and Buford uh, Firo, the the uh, you know the Jewish uh, center shooter and Jared Lee Lochner, the Arizona shooter, and Zacharias Masale, or however you pronounce his name? And um, yeah, what are the odds that this same gal just seems to pop up all over the country at, at these uh, high-profile, rather questionable, uh, you know, uh, criminal trials? And, and, um, and the first thing she does is, is basically sell out her client and declare him guilty right off the bat, you know. And um, and the testimony <laughs> is just extraordinary. I mean, it's it's just it's. Uh, these people are just blatantly perjuring themselves, and it could be so easily demonstrated, you know? It's just it, it's just unbelievable. You know, you got this cop, you know, just spinning this tale about how he uh, was the one who found Crystal Campbell and put a jacket over her and stayed with her till midnight or some such thing, which is not only not only blatantly contradicts the uh, the photographic evidence, but contradicts the uh, the what what the accounts that were given initially by the supposed first responders, you know, who spun a completely different tale of uh, her injuries and how they were treated. And uh, and you know, this witness could be so easily impeached. All any defense attorney has to do is is start flashing the the photos, you know, in sequence on the screen, um, you know, it's all captured on film, uh, you know, how, how she was handled and, you know, I mean, all you got to do is put the pictures up there and, and, and say, could you please point out for the jury exactly where you are in the, these images, you know, <laughs> show us where, 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 are, where are you here, where Crystal Campbell's body is, you know, where, 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 exactly when did you put the jacket over her, and uh, where, where are you in this picture of, of her body being wheeled out of the scene, you know, it's just, it's so easy, the guy is just blatantly lying, and it could be easily demonstrated by any defense attorney worth his salt, uh, that the guy is just blatantly perjuring himself, and yet, uh, and he's not the only one by any stretch of the imagination. As far as I can tell, every witness they called is, uh, I'm just wondering when, when, when Carlos Arredondo is going to take the stand to spin some crazy tale of his, you know? And yeah, it's, it's unbelievable that, that something like that could be, uh, could be taking place in, in, uh, the America that we all know and love. Just, it's just, it's extraordinary. This is the America we know. That's the problem. But but if you would yeah. you would think though if there was ever a case where where you could try and raise some reasonable doubt, 
you know, this would be it because there's all there's all this con- it's all over the internet. There's all these contradictory photos and videos and fake blood. You know, but I guess they can't go down that road. They must have made some kind of deal. Because his uncle, you know, you, you know what this guy's uncle, right? Uh, Uncle Russ, is that a Russlin or whatever? Ruslan, or something? Yeah. Whatever, I'm not sure exactly what his name is. <laughs> yeah. <Ruslan. laughs> yeah. Well, you look into his background, it's right right in your face, yeah? Yeah, I mean, the whole thing just absolutely reeks, and uh, and there's just so much, there's such a huge body of photographic evidence that could be presented that, I mean, the, the kid's got the best defense in the world, right? You know, it's like, I can't be guilty of this crime because the crime was never actually committed, you know? It's, uh, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, it's remarkable. It's just, uh, I'm, I'm just, I, I, I can't, I can't even believe what they're, what, and the, the amazing thing is they're not, even, they're not even selling the same lies that they sold originally, you know? It's, uh, you got people in there spinning completely new uh, new versions of reality, uh, which are, you know, like the original ones are, are contradicted by the photographic evidence, but uh, just they seem to just be scripting this as they go along or something. It's, 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 it's remarkable, really. Because yeah, you know what? The, the, this kid, he has his mother and his aunt and stuff. They're out there trying to say, hey, nothing happened. It's kidding. My son's innocent. So he has supporters. But they must have made some kind of deal somewhere along the way that they, they're going down this road. It just makes no sense. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, it's quite a spectacle. And, you know, I mean, all the attorneys on both sides absolutely have to know that these witnesses are perjuring themselves. I mean, they brought in these two cops that were never even part of the narrative before that show up nowhere in any of the pictures and, you know, spinning these tales of being, you know, first responders on the scene and what they found and all that, like, <laughs> you know what? What happened to the first responders that they were talking to? Uh, you know what happened to like this doctor guy, the, the supposed doctor. I can't even remember his name now. Who, uh, you know, was, was spinning all kinds of crazy yarns about uh, Bowman and whatnot, and, and Campbell. And, and you know, what, what happened to the you know the first responders whose uh, accounts they they initially were were selling as the truth? And now they're bringing in like totally new people to sell completely new lies it's just it's it's amazing it's just uh yeah so anyway then, then they have that one-legged dancer writes a public letter you know like mess with their own person it's, it's yeah yeah very yeah very uh very well-timed letter a very emotional well-timed and, and well-circulated you know viral letter that it's yeah i mean the whole thing is just uh yeah, wow. It's scary. It's, I mean, it's, it's it's disturbing and scary to think that, you know, not only could they sell this highly dubious event to the entire world, but then follow it up with a trial that just is just a complete sham from beginning to end, you know? And, uh, like, I mean, you know, it's, it's more and more, it just, it just gives you a feeling of powerlessness, you know? And, and seeing all these these uh, cop shooting videos that seem to pop up every other day now, you know, and um, yeah, it's a, it's a scary world out there, you know. <laughs> it's like they can just, you know, they they can just the the state can just act with impunity these days, you know. The police can serve as judge, jury, and executioner, and and even if you get a trial. Uh, there's no guarantee that it's going to be anywhere close to to a fair trial, you know, and it's uh, it's scary. It's very, it's getting really scary out there. You know what, man? I, I agree with you. You know, it, it is getting scary out there. 
Um, and, it, you know, we're both about the same age. And uh, it, it just seems like things are getting steadily worse um, as we move on every day. And you're right. They, we have videotapes now of cops just, you know, they shoot this homeless guy. The guilt is all over their face, you know? Oh, my God, the, the one in L.A., right? I mean, yeah. right, just a few days. That was just unbelievable, man. I mean, the guy's on the ground. He's been beaten. He's been tased. He's got four burly cops restraining him. And then just for no apparent reason whatsoever, they all just open fire on the guy. And let's not forget, the crime, the crime that they responded to was that he tipped over another man's tent. And that's what caused 10 cops to show up and start beating the crap out of people. Yeah, it's just uh, yeah, it's unbelievable. And then, and then yesterday there was another one yeah. that's uh, barely made the news yet where the guy is, like, pulled up to some suspect and cop didn't even get out of his car. He just, he just uh, opens fire through the window of his car and, and just shoots the guy dead for no reason, you know, unarmed, um I don't know what the alleged crime was, but, uh, you know, it was at the end of a short chase or something. They pinned him down at the end of a cul-de-sac and just pulled up next to him and opened fire, according to the account in the, in the Times today. You know, it's just it's just unbelievable. I yeah. mean, well, you know, how blatant does it have to be before one of these cops gets actually charged with some kind of a criminal offense or at least loses their job, you know? <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, well, 10 years ago, if they shot someone unarmed, you know, that was a, something to be outraged about. But now, unarmed means nothing. It means nothing if they're shooting unarmed people anymore. If they're saying, I shot or unarmed. You know? All they have to do is say, well, you reach for my gun. Yeah. You, you, you reach for my gun, and, uh, you know, that's it. That's all it seems, it seems to be all they have to say. You know, he reached for the officer's gun. He was grabbing at the officer's gun, you know. And, yeah. And that's that's justification. Yeah, you know whether it's even true or not. You know that seems to be the go-to uh, scenario now that they, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know, man. It's uh, yeah. I mean, I think they didn't they claim that. And then the, the gal, where was it? The the, the young, the, the teenage girl. She was like 16 years old or something, sitting in the car with her friends, and the cops pulled up and just opened fire on her through the through the driver's side window, just. <laughs> shot her to pieces, sitting in her in the in the driver's seat of her car, and I think I think they, 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 on that one they claimed that she was going for the gun, which was like contradicted by the circumstances and by the witnesses. But you know that all that seems to be all they have to say, and uh, it all gets swept under the rug. You know, the people will get out there and protest for a week or so, and you know, then something else happens, and everyone moves on. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I saw your post. You were saying that maybe they're doing this to desensitize us uh, to, and to make us frightened. Maybe they are. We, we you know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe, you know. I mean, it's, you know, it's got to have a certain chilling effect on people to see, that you know, this going on, how commonplace it's become and, and how blatant it can be. And yet still, you know, the cops are, are backed by the department and no charges are filed and, you know. And a lot uh, of people support there's them. Never, you know? A lot of people. And, other, and the other cops around the country see that, too, yeah. you know? I mean, they're seeing that that they can get away with anything. And people will post on Facebook, well, thank God for the police are there to protect us. You know, they have such a, they may not come home tonight. All this crap, you know? Hey, I know. Yeah, yeah there's a, anytime anyone, yeah, they, they pop up on YouTube or Facebook, there's always 
strings of comments from people saying, I don't understand why people just can't uh, respect the authority of the police and follow directions. Right. None of this would happen. You know, all the guy had to do was follow the orders. And, you know, it's like, wow. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, um, it's scary. It's really, uh, yeah, we're, we're being driven more and more into uh, to just, you know, wholeheartedly supporting the police state and, and even embracing it, you know. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's a scary world. It is. None of which has much to do with the moon landing. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of worlds, <laughs> okay, I'll stay later. Yeah, you know, because we like to do shows on here, you know, covering historical events and to put them in perspective. And it, it seems like the, the moon hoax, which I think we're, just about everybody will agree it's a hoax, especially I've been watching stuff uh, preparing for the show for the past like, 48 hours. Um, but it seems like that was kind of the start of this whole thing of uh, the government pulling stuff over on us and being able to get away with it in a really large way. Because the cover-up with the moon hoax is just as bad as the cover-up with these police shootings and this Boston bombing thing. Yeah, it is pretty extraordinary that uh, that they were able to pull such a massive hoax, uh, you know, at such an early stage, you know, technologically speaking, you know, we uh, we were pretty primitive uh, back in, in the in the 60s, and um, you know, just with the use of 1960s technology to be able to to successfully pull that off, and then to keep it in place for you know uh, 45, 46 years later. To still uh, keep that propped up there uh, is pretty extraordinary, and that that had to be emboldening to a large extent, you know, yeah. to realize that they could uh, pull off such a such a massive hoax, and uh, you know, it wasn't even all that well constructed, and yet, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it really speaks to the power of the the, the media and the, the power of voices of authority and people's willingness to want to, you know to believe that, uh, you know, that, that, they're, that they're not being lied to. And they're, they're, they want to believe in heroes. They want to have heroes. They want to believe yeah. in We're the good guys. The Russians are the bad guys. But, and meanwhile, NASA was run by a bunch of Nazis, and Jack Parsons <laughs> took a Satan-worshipping occultist. <laughs> but people don't want to believe that either. They wanted to keep... They want to keep their their sanitized view of America, and you know, and this great you know this great accomplishment that we made in the '60s, which is you know just one of many great accomplishments. And uh, people want to believe, you know, I mean, we're indoctrinated from birth to believe that we live in this this, this exceptional society that that's just you know light years beyond any other civilization that has ever existed. You know, we're just <laughs> We're just better in every way, you know, and and people want to believe that, you know, they really want to believe that we are the the special ones, you know, and 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 that our leaders mean well, and you know that the the media and and academia and and the legal community and and everyone else isn't just blatantly lying to them. Um, you know, because uh, as soon as you go to Europe the first time or South America, or something, and you, you meet people from other countries, and they just got that smile on their face, like, "Hey, dude, you're such a fool! <laughs> you believe you, you Americans think you know you're the, you're the center of the universe, you know?" 
Uh, yeah, we, we and we think that we're the, the most well-informed because we honestly believe that we have the freest, the most independent media apparatus that's ever existed, you know, and, and we routinely demonize, you know, the media in, in you know, countries that... Uh, that are in opposition to us, you know, and, and, and praise our own. And I mean, for years, you know, we, we've all, for decades, we've all been sold the notion that, uh, we alone in the world get the true and accurate news, you know, because we have, and by all appearances, you know, I mean, we do have this huge, you know, supposedly independent, uh, you know, media, this, you know, massive uh, media conglomerate with, you know, hundreds of TV stations and radio stations and newspapers and magazines and podcasts and, every, you know, just unlimited options for where we get our news. And, you know, so it, it certainly appears that, that we do, in fact, have, you know, unlimited choices and, and uh, you know, access to, to you know, truthful, you know, unfiltered <laughs> news uh, stories, but, you know, the reality is something very much different. But, again, that's something that people don't really want to, don't really want to believe, don't really want to accept. Well, now, along those lines, uh, I think there's pretty much two camps. So there's one camp that says, hey, we never went to the moon because it's impossible, the Van Allen belt, all that stuff. And then there's the other side that says, well, we have these secret space programs and we've been to the moon way back in the 50s. Where do you fall in on that? We, we can't do it. It's impossible. Or we have a secret space program. Uh, I think it's, yeah, I think it's we can't do it, you know. And, um, yeah, I think there's actually probably more than two camps, you know. There's one camp that says that we've never done it and, and it probably can't be done. Uh, there's another camp that says that the early missions were faked because we weren't ready yet and we wanted to make a show of beating Russia there, but that the later uh, missions were successful, um, you know, and then, and then of course there's the campuses that all, you know, that all of them were successful and the whole thing was legit. Right. And, um, yeah, I pretty much fall into the, uh, yeah, there's no, there's absolutely no way it could have been done in the 1960s. And I don't believe well, NASA has acknowledged that it can't be done today, and whether it can ever be done, whether it's within the realm of, of uh, what we as humans are even capable of is, is highly questionable. But, yeah, I mean, there's, there's people that claim not only did we make it to the moon, but that we've made it to Mars and that we have secret outposts on the moon and on Mars and, you know, uh, <laughs> various other places. And then there's those that claim that we've made it to the moon and we're confronted by hostile aliens right. and warned away, and that's why we've never gone back because uh, we were told to stay away from the moon and mind our own business. <laughs> so, there's yeah, there's quite a few camps actually <laughs> in regards to various space programs. It sounds like a jamboree. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Okay, so so then lay out your case, man. Okay. We we can't do it because it was impossible. So give us an idea. Give us some more clues and hints and stuff. Well, you know, the, the, one of the most amazing things about it to me is that that uh, if you really read between the lines of various NASA uh, press releases and, and releases from their various contractors, um, they've they've basically acknowledged numerous times that we <laughs> that we haven't been to the moon. You know, not in so many words. 
but they'll talk about, you know, a return mission and what it will require. And, you know, various times they have said that, uh, you know, before we can, quote, unquote, go back to the moon, we have to develop a new uh, spacesuit material because none of the materials that we currently have would withstand the, uh, the environmental extremes on the moon, the temperature fluctuations and whatnot. And, you know, yet supposedly we had a material that worked perfectly fine in, in 1969. You know, <laughs> so there's a huge, huge, uh, you know, a huge uh, problem there. Yeah, you're right, and, because uh, wait, the temperature, the heat on the moon gets up to 250 degrees, which is a boiling water. We don't have any yeah. heat in, in, on Earth that we can put on and jump in boiling water. <laughs> we don't have them. Well, you know, they, they've acknowledged that. Yeah. They've, they've said that, you know, we need to develop some type of a radiation shield, not just for the spaceships, but for while they're on the moon and working on the moon. And they, they've, you know, put out artist renditions of these uh, elaborate, uh, you know, shields that would have to be con constructed on the surface of the moon in order for our astronauts to, to uh, you know, stay there for any length of time and work there. And, you know, we didn't think of that in 1969, but, but now we need it, you know. And, and they say, you know, if, if we were to send back a rover now, it would have to be launched in a separate launch vehicle. You know, it would require a completely separate launch, whereas in 1969 we had no problem stowing three astronauts in a dune buggy on, on the, uh, you know, landing craft. And, uh, you know, they've talked about problems with reentry that have to be worked out. They've talked about how uh, the lunar dust would be a huge problem and that they'd have to develop uh, all new technology to make to maintain a completely dust-free environment inside the the uh, landing vehicle you know they've talked about these special ports where the astronauts would actually like pass sort of where the the, the uh, suits would like dock to the outside of the uh, the craft with uh, like these special portals where they would basically, they would sort of like back into the suits, you know, through the crafts and, uh, and then the, to get back in, like, into the craft, they'd have to sort of reverse that procedure so that the spacesuits never came into the landing uh, craft because they said the, the lunar dust would just be a huge problem health-wise for the astronauts and for all the delicate uh, electronics and mechanical parts on the you know, that it would wreak havoc. And yet, you had these guys going out in dune buggies kicking up whole rooster tails full of dust, you know, in these videos, and then tromping back into the landing vehicle just covered, literally covered with dust. And uh, no problem. Zero, yeah, then you go into zero gravity, that dust is going to be... Everywhere. It's going to be air in your eyes. It's going to be in your eyes. There's <laughs> no you way you can It's going to be like a snow globe. Well, yeah, right. you know? And they've, they've acknowledged that. Right. They've acknowledged that that would happen now, but apparently in 1969 there was a different different laws <laughs> of physics involved or something because, uh, yeah, no problem, you know. And so, you know, there's a, there's a whole list of these, these uh, specific problems that NASA has identified that that are now problems, but that we had uh, apparently had easy solutions for in 1969. And yet now, with almost 50 years of technological advancement under our belts, we're saying that we, 
we don't have the technology for it, you know? So there's obviously a huge disconnect there. Yeah, yeah, it, it is just so hysterical. Some of these, uh, and, and like you said, even when I was a kid, uh, the thing with the lunar uh, rover thing, you know, it, 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 I could see then when I was like ten years old, I could say, "Well, how'd they get that thing in and out? How'd they?" Uh, I, yeah, uh, yeah. I know because yeah, the first missions they, uh, you know, they they could barely get the two astronauts in there. They, these things were supposed to be, you know, just designed for. Just a bare minimum of of space, you know, enough to hold two astronauts. He couldn't even hold the third astronaut, you know. He had to stay up on the in the uh, command module while the other two went down and, and did their thing. And yet, uh, after the first few flights, all of a sudden, with no changes whatsoever to the launch vehicle or the landing craft, uh, all of a sudden they had dune buggies on board. <laughs> Wait, those things cost sixty million dollars a piece. These these full size dune buggies that that just yeah miraculously <laughs> made it to the moon like stowed in the astronauts uh, you know carry on bags or something I, you know, it's just yeah it was just remarkable and I mean my interpretation of that is that you know they had they needed to add a little more excitement you know it was getting kind of boring it wasn't holding the, the people's attention anymore you know after the first one you know the first couple were very exciting and the entire country was glued to their tv screen because this was something that nobody had ever seen before obviously you know this is just amazing and watching on your little grainy black and white tvs as man as neil armstrong takes his very first step on the moon, 250,000 miles away, you know, and I mean, everybody was just holding their breath, you know, are they going to make it back, are they, you know, and and um, so it really captured the country's attention for the first couple of few flights, and then it just kind of got routine, because it just seemed too easy, you know, um, there, were, there were no problems, everything just seemed to run like clockwork, and and so I believe that's why they started introducing other elements, like the, the tragic uh, Apollo 13 that you know, was supposedly bouncing around out in space for yeah. days, and the whole country was holding their breath, hoping, hoping and praying that our brave astronauts would make it back. You know, and and then they introduced the dune buggy. So okay, I think they, I, I they had to, to spice that. it up. I want to get to that when we get getting, back. It was, the show was getting boring. But you know? we gotta take a, gotta take a <laughs> commercial break, okay, my friend? Uh, we're here with uh, Dave. Mc Two, one, and go. Okay, welcome back to the Opperman Report. I am your host, private investigator, and Opperman. Uh, the show is brought to you by Audible.com, AudibleTrial.com. I've got a free audio book. Uh, we've got with us tonight, Dave McGowan, author of uh, Weird Scenes Inside the Canyon, uh, Understanding the F Word, and uh, Program to Kill. Three great books that I definitely recommend. There's um, a whole bunch of uh, Facebook pages dedicated to his work and research. Uh, I would encourage everybody to just look that up, look up weird scenes inside the canyon, look up Dave McGowan, and there's a whole bunch of groups that Dave never visits, okay, but we all hang out in there and talk about Dave and talk about his work and like-minded people, and we, we have some really good discussions in there. I'm in there almost every day. Um, but uh, Dave uh, researches a lot of stuff, and one of these topics is the, the moon landing hoax. 
Uh, now, Dave, um, what, what came first, the, the Gus Grissom murder or the uh, Apollo 13 uh, event? Uh, Gus Grissom. He was he was one of was he one of the three that were killed in the uh, yeah test the uh, the, uh, the the massive fire in the uh, capsule during the test. Yeah, he's the one. Uh, the first one when uh, his capsule came down, it sank in the water. Uh, they almost died then. Then he put up the hanger with the uh, the lemon on it and said, "This thing's a lemon." And then when he was in the, he says, "How are we going to get to the moon? We can't even talk to each other from one building to another." And then next thing I know, and his son and his wife, they both think he was killed. Um, yeah, yeah, he was a bit of a troublemaker, a potential whistleblower who uh, seemed to be very skeptical uh, that this uh, that this project was anywhere near being ready to uh, make a successful flight to the moon. And uh, him and his, two of his colleagues uh, conveniently burned up in a very suspicious fire in the... Uh, in the uh, the, ca- the test capsule that was uh, I don't remember what the cause of it was was it uh, too much oxygen in the cabin or some some such thing and um, yeah they uh, they were conveniently silenced I believe they were supposed to be the they they uh, could very well have been the the first crew and you know their their names would have been as well known to us now as uh, you know like Buzz Aldrin and uh, Neil Armstrong <coughs> had they uh, had they uh, played along, but uh, <laughs> uh, instead they ended up dead and, uh, you know, are, are long forgotten other than, you know, to, uh, to some of us conspiracy theorists. And, uh, and then there was also the inspector, the, uh, the guy who had written up a long, a lengthy report that was apparently very critical of the program. And uh, he, he turned up dead as well, and his report disappeared and uh was never to be seen again from what i recall so uh yeah there there were there were a few suspicious deaths before the uh, first uh, supposedly successful apollo mission uh, ever got off the ground and there was a lot of th- a lot of people quit too right after the, the first landing uh, they quit the program von brown quit uh that i wasn't really aware of uh did not know that did, yeah. did uh Huh. And you know what, Von Brown, because I, I did a lot of research this week, um, uh, he, this guy was a serious Nazi, man. Uh, <laughs> you know, it wasn't just like, oh, yeah, a member of the party. This was a serious Nazi. He was just next to Goebbels, you know, and had slave laborers working on his V2 rocket program. I mean, this guy had slaves. Yeah, some of these uh, people had a seriously questionable background. You know, uh, the only one, the only one who was really well known by the public was uh, Werner von Braun, who was, uh, you know, given a uh, spit shine and put out there for public consumption, and you know, endorsed by uh, Walt Disney and whatnot. And uh, yeah, basically, uh, sold to the American people as something much different than than what he actually was. But he he wasn't even the worst of the lot. There was uh, there was some really hardcore, <laughs> hardcore serious Nazis. Yeah, that, that ran like the uh, the underground slave labor uh, camps that were you know pumping out munitions at the at the cost of their workers' lives. Uh, you know, I mean, literally they would they would work them uh, slave labor that they would literally work till they till they drop dead. Yeah, and it's interesting how uh, we were talking about Gus Grissom, how um, when they did that movie, you know, The Right Stuff, you know, they made him out to be kind of a clown, you know, and that, oh, he was kind of a, 
screw up. You know, he screwed the pooch. That's what they kept saying in the movie. You know, and then for the Apollo 13 movie, who do they roll out? You know, Tom Hanks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's not a suspicious character, is he? Yeah, good old Tom Hanks, good old beloved Tom Hanks, you know, he's just got that, yeah, you know, that squeaky clean all-American wholesome image, uh, yeah, you know, he certainly wouldn't, certainly, uh, yeah, he, he certainly couldn't be, uh, you know, Ron telling Howard. us any, anything other than the truth, right? Ron Howard, Ron <laughs> Howard's uh, involved in that? Yeah, Ron Howard, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, I mean, we grew up with Ron Howard, for okay. crying out loud, you know, on the Andy Griffith show. We've known, Ron, we've known Ronnie since he was a little kid. So, you know what I mean? He's almost like family, right? Oh. So, yeah, you know. It's <laughs> <laughs> right, Paul? And uh, Kevin Bacon, right? You know Kevin Bacon, he's a trustable guy, right? Oh, uh, yeah, well, you know, I've, uh, I, for years, I've, people have, uh, told me that I, uh, resemble Kevin, I, I get that a lot, not as much lately, I guess we've grown apart as we've gotten older, but I, I used to get it a lot, people say, you know, you look a lot like Kevin Bacon, uh, okay, if you say so. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, Kim, Kevin Bacon is apparently my doppelganger, we're about the same age, like, same height, weight, build. And, uh, yeah, but, uh, not, not as, not as much so anymore, but yeah, you know, yet again, another, uh, you know, another great all American guy. And, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, these people are as American as apple pie. So, uh, you know, why would, why, why question <laughs> what they're, what they're selling us, right? Yeah. Even, even when it's so completely ludicrous, you know, Hey, what do you think of the Stanley Kubrick theory? I you know I don't know what to make of that. I, I, it's certainly credible, you know. I uh, I know there's a lot of people that promote it, and uh, you know it, it's not at all beyond the realm of possibility. And uh, you know, of course, he was he was uh, you know working with those same kind of special effects in, in those days with the you know 2001 Space Odyssey, you know, very groundbreaking film at the time, and. Um, you know, it's not at all beyond. You know, there's pictures. I have, there's a picture of him, of him like in England, walking with some, you know, NASA people, and uh, you know, he apparently was was consulted and whatnot. And you know, it's not at all beyond the realm of possibility. I haven't seen any, you know, hard and fast evidence where I would say absolutely he was, you know, directly involved, but uh, certainly can't be ruled out. And he obviously had some concerns later on in life because he moved to a, a, a home that had a moat around it. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I mean, his his movies have been analyzed uh, yeah. to pieces, you know, for symbolism, uh, especially The Shining, and and uh, you know, and then there's a whole controversy over the eyes wide shut, and you know, was he making a movie that was going to spill the beans, and then he got off, and it ended up being re-edited by. Who was it, Spielberg or something? I don't even remember who re-edited it. <clears throat> so the version, you know, that, that we got theatrically was not, uh, you know, not necessarily the version that uh, Kubrick had envisioned. And so, you know, there's been endless theorizing about the about that one. And um, so, uh, you know, and then there's the fact that the NASA gave him like some special lens to use for what was the, the Barry Lydon film or something, some very very expensive rare rare uh, lens that, uh, you know, he got on loan. And, you know, there's been <laughs> various people who've theorized that that was, you know, in part a payback for, uh, you know, services rendered 
to NASA. So, you know, I mean, there, there's, there's definitely, you know, tangential evidence, and um, it's quite possible. And it seems like he's the one, too, that, that planted the notion in our mind that when astronauts are walking around in space, that they walk around in slow motion. Yeah, well, yeah, it's something. You know, yeah. Stop and think. Why would they be in slow motion in space? Wouldn't they be fast? You, would, I, I would think so. Yeah. I mean, would you know, I mean, you should, yeah, I mean, you should jump higher, run faster. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, I would think. That, uh, you know, but hey, <laughs> <laughs> there's no logical explanation why you know? they, 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 they they walk in slow motion in space. It's not underwater. Yeah, I know. It's, 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 uh, yeah, I mean, well, where's the resistance coming from? There's yeah. no atmosphere. There's very little, little gravity. So what, what, what is the resistance that's slowing their <laughs> movements? You know, where, what it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. But, right, so you saw uh, 2000. You know, I mean, I'm, not, I'm not a physicist or, uh, you yeah. know, whatever. Uh, uh, so I mean, maybe there's some logical scientific explanation for it, but. Not that I've seen or heard. It just seems to be just accepted that that's what the way it should be. And uh, just, hey, are you familiar with the whole story about the how they um, uh, beamed the signals to Australia first and then to the United States? Yeah. Did you hear about the Coke bottle? Which is pretty <laughs> pretty remarkable. Uh, Pretty remarkable technology for the 60s, really. I mean, we could beam a live TV signal 250,000 miles back home, you know, without a glitch. That's, uh, I mean, you know, I can't even, they can't even, you know, I can't even hold a cell phone call nowadays to somebody around the block. But, you know, in those days, they had much better technology, apparently. So, but yeah, it was uh, the Coke bottle. Um, it rings a bell. Yeah, I mean, wasn't it like some some of the people who saw the original footage said that a Coke bottle rolled across yeah, the, they the scene the in, in, in the footage or something? Yeah, <laughs> I was watching it today, and there seems to be quite a few people that saw it. So uh, you, who knows, right? Who knows? Uh, There's no actual footage of it, right? It's no. just the people who say that when it before it was, you know, whatever they did to it before they transferred the signal or whatever, that in the original footage there was a Coke bottle. Is that yeah. Yeah. Is that basically, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, so, I, you know, it's hard to say, you know. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't, you know, I, without personally interviewing the witnesses and, and seeing just what kind of people, you know, if they're still even alive, um, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, that's, again, it's possible that uh, it's possible that they did. And, um, you know, I don't know. Maybe the, uh, maybe uh, maybe Coke was already established on the menu. <laughs> yeah, there you go, right. <laughs> You know they, they they they've got some marketing savvy. You know they they they're all, they're all over the world. So why not uh, conquer the moon, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, hey, what about the? You must have seen the movie Capricorn One, right? With OJ? Yeah. Where they, they that's where the yeah it's been a long long time. That's where they like fake a mission to Mars. Is that what it is? It was supposed to be the moon, but they changed it to Mars. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, for the movie they changed it to Mars, and uh, but that's the same. It's the same story, you know. Yeah, isn't it? There's also a scene in uh, like one of the James Bond films. Is that a, a sequence where uh, 
they chase the guy through a fake a set where they're filming a fake moonwalk or something like that. Which, yes, uh, and diamonds are forever. Okay. Is that where it is? Yeah. yeah, that's another one that people have pointed out as being, uh, you know, a tip of the hat to the, you know, basically the powers that be saying, yeah, we faked it, so what? What are you going to do about it? Wait a second. <laughs> right, and that's funny, too, because when James Bond, Short Connery, you know, when he's making his escape through this uh, lunar uh, set, the astronauts are trying to stop him, but they're going in slow motion while he's going <laughs> normal speed. <laughs> that one I've never actually seen. I'm not a huge James Bond fan, but... You probably watch it sometimes just for just for the uh, just for that scene. Is it the beginning of the movie? I don't know. I, I just caught it on YouTube today when I was watching the, all the videos ah. about the. But it is hysterical. Uh, with the, <laughs> but it's, it's an Area 51. Obviously, they took like a you know a base in the middle of Nevada, and, and the astronauts were uh, here in Las Vegas. They were here. Uh, they were at UNLV. They, they were here for a long time. So there's definitely possibilities that this was filmed. Uh, in, in Nevada, at uh, Area 51. Yeah, people ask me all the time, where do you think this was, these were, the, the, yeah. was actually filmed at? I'm like, ah, who knows? I mean, you know, it <laughs> could be, you know, any nondescript uh, remote location, you know? I mean, there's, there's plenty to choose from, you know? It, 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 who knows? Where, but, you know, yeah, that's uh, certainly one possibility that's been mentioned frequently is that it was filmed on or around uh, Area 51, which is obviously a very tightly controlled base where uh not likely that any prying eyes would uh, would see what was going on. So, you know, definitely a possibility. Yeah, especially at the time, because no one knew about Area 51 back in those days. And it would be inconceivable to even drive out there or travel out there in that direction. Uh, there would be just yeah. no reason to, yeah. So, yeah, it's quite possible. So now, uh, one thing, though, that uh, the skeptics uh, to this topic, they always bring up is uh, that laser thing. That, that uh, They said, well, no, we know it's there because uh, you can go to Texas, and they do it all the time. They shoot this laser against this uh, reflector that's been they left on the moon, and it comes back. And even these astronauts bring it up all the time, too. So what, what do you think uh, about that? Well, there's several possibilities. You know, there, there were reports out even before the Apollo landings that they were doing these same types of uh, things with no uh, with no devices on the moon. That the, the surface of the moon itself was reflective enough that they could uh, that they could they could do what you know what they're doing, which is basically like a get a precise measurement, I believe it is, from here to the moon based on how much time the signal takes to bounce back or whatever it is. Um, so, you know, one possibility is that there's, that, that there never have been any reflectors there and they're just bouncing off of, uh, you know, various natural features of the, uh, the surface of the moon itself. Um, another possibility is that they were placed there remotely by, uh, unmanned, uh, craft, uh, Russia claimed to have placed, uh, several of them, uh, robotically, um, back in that era. So, um. You know, it's possible that because I've, I've never said that unmanned craft can't get to the moon. I just don't think that that uh, it's within that it, it's humanly possible to get there. But um, certainly, probably possible to get spacecraft there. So they could have been been placed robotically. Um, so that's another possibility. Uh, you know, I mean, I question whether that, that we even had the technology to to do that. Uh, back in those days, I mean, these were tiny little targets, you know, like the size of like a, a you 
know, like a computer monitor or something, you know. Right. <laughs> they were placed 250,000 miles away. I don't know if people really understand how, you know, what, what kind of distance that is that we're talking uh, between here and the moon. And, you know, if, you, if you've ever... If you've ever, uh, you know, if you're, if you're a photographer, if you've ever used a very really long telephoto lens or if you're a hunter that's used a scope, um, you know that even from relatively short distances, even a tiny little bit of motion uh, will completely throw off, you know, uh, what, what you're viewing. You know, I mean, it, it doesn't take much at all. And the farther away it is, of course, the more that's amplified. And I, I, just, I really find it very hard to believe that in the 1960s we had lasers or whatever that were accurate enough and stationary enough that could be, you know, kept still enough basically to focus on a target that tiny, that far away. That just seems, I don't know, it, it just seems very, very hard for me to believe. So I'm inclined to believe that the that it's just they're just basically bouncing it off of the, the surface of the moon itself because I don't know that we have that you know I mean that would require a degree of accuracy that's just just you know pretty astonishing really yeah because yeah back then we didn't even have fax machines we didn't have email we didn't have you know the cordless drill uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know people, the kids today don't understand that if I try to tell my yeah. kids that she doesn't understand. Yeah. A pocket calculator that just like added, subtracted, multiplied, and divided was, uh, you know, a, a rare, a valuable commodity, you know, that, <laughs> you know, it just, yeah, I mean, people, yeah, the technology, you know, we we had big, heavy rotary uh, telephones. You know? Yeah, my dad was an accountant. He had an adding machine that was this big, it was on a stand, this big, giant thing, the size of, I don't even know, the size of a, I can't even think what, like a, a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. yeah. You know? We've had TVs with 13 channels and no remote control, you right. know? Right. There was no remote control back in those days. And no uh, no VCRs, let alone DVRs, you know? I mean, uh, yeah, we the, the technology back then, it was... Uh, you know, I mean, it was like the dark ages compared to compared to now. And you see how, how quickly this technology accelerates, you know, uh, once something's been developed, you know. I mean, we went from from cell phones to, to these incredibly, to, you know, these big clunky original, you know, mobile car phones to, uh, to these, uh, you know, smartphones now that, that just, are just amazing, I mean, just technological marvels, yeah. right? That not only serve as a phone, but as, you know, every, anything else you want it to be, you know, an adding machine, a, a still camera, a video camera, a, a TV, a radio, a, you know, I mean, just infinite. It serves infinite functions now. And, I mean, it hasn't taken that long to, to, to travel that arc. You know, so, I mean, in the realm of, of space travel, you look at, you know, Apollo and, and 40, 45 years have passed. And, you know, I mean, we, we, should, we should have technology that, that should make it just a piece of cake to get to the moon and back, you know. Yeah, but nowadays, I mean, it should be something that, that, uh, consumer, that just, uh, you know, rank and file people. <laughs> you know, I mean, they say that the, 
they they said that over the years, you know, they were saying way back in like the eighties that that the uh the, the on onboard computers on the Apollo flights had less computing power than a Sony Walkman, you know? <laughs> right. And it's a Sony Walkman has like a, a millionth, you know, the computing power of the phone that I'm holding in my hand right now, you know. So I, I'm holding more technology in, in my hand by far than than what sent the this what supposedly sent uh, our astronauts successfully all the way to the moon and back multiple times. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just it just doesn't add up. It really just the whole thing just doesn't really seem to add up. Even the space shuttle with all its boosters and all that stuff. Oh, I got feedback. Who am I getting at? Okay. I don't know. You were cutting out a little bit. Okay. Yeah, I was getting some feedback. Okay. Even the space shuttle with all its uh, boosters and all its rockets and stuff like that has never orbited, has never gotten higher than 400 uh, uh, miles. Yeah, you know, that, that's, what, that's the thing that a lot of people don't understand right. is uh, what a huge leap it is. From uh, from what we do now to what we supposedly did in the '60s, you know, people look and say, "Well, what's the big deal?" You know, we we put people into orbit. We can put us, you know, we 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 have a fully functional space station. We have the Hubble telescope. We have, you know, uh, the space shuttle. Well, we did have the space shuttle programs, you know, and and uh, you know, what's the big deal? You know, what's what's the big difference between that and, and going to the moon? Well, it's a huge difference because none of those things have ever gone more than like three or four hundred miles from the surface of the Earth. You know, none of them. Not the Hubble telescope, not the space station, none of the space shuttles. They've never left low Earth orbit. And they, they have a huge failure uh, rate, too, as well. And they have a huge failure rate <laughs> just doing that, right. exactly. Okay, well, the Apollo flight supposedly went all the way to the moon and back, 250,000 miles, you know? And a little tin can. So, yeah, this is not one tank of gas. <laughs> so, you know, to, to say, well, you know, what's the big deal? If we can launch space shuttles and this and blah, 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 why couldn't we send them into the moon? It's like saying, you know... If I can walk around the block, why can't I walk around the world? Right. So, I mean, it's, it's literally that's. It's, I mean, it's just it's exponentially more difficult uh, than anything that we've done since, by far. I mean, just by by leaps and bounds, uh, nothing we have done comes anywhere close, uh, technologically speaking, to what we accomplished in 1969. Amazing. Okay, we have a hard break coming up now. We have a nice uh, five-minute commercial. Uh, we'll be right back with more with Dave McGowan, uh, author of uh, Weird Scenes Inside the Canyon, uh, uh, Understanding the F-Word, and Program to Kill. But we'll be right back after this uh, break. However, that works. But we're here with Dave McGowan, author of uh, Weird Scenes Inside the Canyon, uh, Understanding the F Word, which is fascism, and uh, uh, Program to Kill. Dave, what do you think about um, these trips, these unmanned trips we're taking to Mars uh, with this Mars rover and stuff like that? Do you buy that? Uh, 
uh, it's pretty questionable, you know, isn't it? Um, yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> and the, the, the asteroid one was the one that, or where we supposedly landed some probe on some uh, remote asteroid or some type thing. Yeah, and, well, I uh, think we actually sent uh, Clint Eastwood up there and, and um, a couple of those guys that <laughs> landed on the asteroid, didn't we? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I mean, I mean, one question that comes to mind is why? You know, I mean, why put so much effort and money and research into such a uh, curious project of, of landing on this, uh, you know, random uh, interplanetary body out there? And, and uh, you know, from what I remember, it took like years for the thing to get there. And, and uh just seems kind of unlikely that, that the thing would actually, uh, you know, perform properly for the amount of time that it would take to even get there before they even got to the, the you know, landing and testing and whatnot. And, uh, and I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't the technology be, like, already obsolete? By <laughs> you know? And I, I don't know, it just seems very questionable to me that uh, – you know, I mean, we can't we can't build anything here, uh, you know, that stays here on Earth that that operates properly for that amount of time. So, what what are the odds that we can launch it into space, into a largely unknown environment with no means of, uh, you know, doing any maintenance or repairs, and expect that years later the thing's still going to be performing properly? You know, it's just it's it's really questionable in my mind, anyway. And they had that Mars rover that was up there that had stopped working. And then suddenly, and it almost looked like it had been wiped with a Kleenex, like with a Windex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what is going on with this? NASA's insane. And they lose stuff. You know, they, they lose records. They lose photographs. You know, whole archives of stuff. Well, that's another amazing thing. You yeah. know, I mean, for my entire life, well, not my entire life, because I was, you know, nine, I think, when they when the first uh, one supposedly successfully landed. But ever since then, uh, you know, it, it's been been beaten into my head and into everybody else's that that this was the single greatest technological achievement of the 20th century. You know, just this la- huge scientific landmark event, landing men on the moon. Never, nothing, nothing like that had ever been done before or since. And you know, it, it was just this huge, huge the single greatest technological achievement of the 20th century. And you would think that that being the case, that every artifact connected to that would be very carefully preserved and cataloged and stored somewhere in a temperature-controlled vault or in the Smithsonian or whatever, under heavy guard and lock and key and, you know, preserved for posterity, right? (laughs) But... Yet, what we find instead is that NASA seems to have lost, like, everything. You know, if you go looking for the the plans for the, you know, the launch vehicles, oh, we don't have those. You know, the original tapes, ah, seem to have lost those. You know, the telemetry tapes, ah, those seem to have gotten missing. The majority of the moon rocks, you know, I mean, it's just on and on down the list. It's, uh... Which is very convenient, you know, because if if those technical specifications and drawings and original, uh, you know, all that original, you know, uh, uh, paperwork or whatnot was in existence, you know, you would think that a, you know, modern, uh, you know, 21st century uh, scientist could, could look at those and, and determine whether, whether these, these uh, you know, various components of the mission – 
actually had the capability of doing what they were supposed to do or whether they were just, you know, stage props, basically. <laughs> but you can't do that because, uh, you know, the, 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 none of that information is available for review very conveniently. Hey, it, it turned out some of those rocks turned out to be fake, too. They were on display in other countries. <laughs> they weren't even yeah. real. <laughs> yeah, a little embarrassing for NASA when they're, their uh, moon rocks turn out to be pieces of petrified wood. That they don't even blush. Proud, they don't blush, Proudly man. displayed for decades. Yeah. <laughs> That's moon rock. There's not even an apology. There's no press conference. There's no investigation. There's nothing. <laughs> it's funny because yeah. we, we came up with the expression from this. If you can land a man on the moon, we can put a man on the moon, but you can't do this, right? But you know what? We, we put, supposedly, we could land a man on the moon, but we couldn't land those same guys back on Earth. They had to come down in a parachute and land in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> they had to splash yeah. land in the middle of nowhere. And I can remember being a kid. I was like seven years old, six years old, watching this and saying to my mom, but mom, you know, w- you know, one time, too, they couldn't even find it. It was like five hours they were looking for this thing. And I said, but I don't understand. Why can't they find it? They went all the way to the moon. It met up with the limb and the, the, the rendezvous back you know, in the middle of space. And she's, oh, you don't understand. The ocean's really big. <laughs> in space, the moon is big. <laughs> it's, it's insane. And all of them, of course, landed safely in the ocean. You know, we never had one miss and, uh, <laughs> you know, crash land into the, you know, Arizona desert or anything like that. They all, you know, they all uh, landed perfectly into the ocean, safely into the ocean, of course. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the safety record is just phenomenal, you know, compared to, <laughs> compared to what we have today. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there were all kinds of amazing, you know, technological achievements. You know, we, we, we created this multi-stage rocket that could, you know, shed parts as it went along. And, you know, I mean, there were a lot of huge supposed, uh, you know, major, major milestones, major firsts that had never been done before, you know, performing a docking maneuver in lunar orbit, you know, and landing on the surface of the moon, taking back off from the surface of the moon, somehow rendezvousing with the, you know, with the uh, command module and, and performing this, this docking maneuver in lunar orbit, you know, I mean, nothing, nothing remotely like that had ever been done before or since, right, has never been done since. And but yet we couldn't yeah we but yet when we have when we got all the way back from from doing all these amazing things we just yeah dumped the guys into the ocean. I never thought about that actually, but that is kind of funny. Because I'll never forget we couldn't find them. There was one time we and I said how could we not be able, how could we not find them? <laughs> like, why is it taking so long? Oh, you know what else man blew me away too? Have you ever seen the the videos? of when the Russian cosmonauts come off their, uh, out of their spacecraft, they, they land their thing, right? And they put them on beach chairs right there out in the open. And they sit them down on these beach chairs. They can't even stand up. They're, they're like, you know, they're, they're like limp. And then they start standing them like with a notebook. <laughs> they give them air, you know? So, like, how could, how could our guys be landing after going all the way to the moon and back and they come strutting out of that, uh, you know, out of that little pond, you know, like, like nothing happened. Uh, and they look like movie stars, you right. know. I mean, the, yeah, in, in some of the earlier, you know, tests were, 
you know, people that spent like a few days in orbit or whatever. And, uh, you know, these, these are conditions where, you know, hygiene is not something that's real easy to tend to, you know, <laughs> it's, you know I mean, I would think just go, just, just, just relieving yourself would be, uh, a difficult proposition, you know, let alone, uh, you know, brushing your teeth or combing your hair or shaving or, or, uh, you know, you can, you can't shower or bathe. And right. I mean, you know, this, this is like, like, uh, you know, spending a, a week on survivor or something, you know, and yet these, they, they come back and then they're like television ready. They're rested, they're refreshed, they're fresh scrubbed, you know, they're well-groomed and, these don't look like people that just crawled out of a cramped space capsule that they spent, you know, a right. <laughs> amount of time in. It's just, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't quite fit. Just think wearing that suit for three days and that pack backpack and that helmet, the stupid and the gloves. Just doing that, you would need twice the amount of food and water that you'd have here on Earth walking around. How could we pack all that much? Well, they had Tang. I'll give them that. They had the Tang. Of course, that got them <laughs> a little further along. But, you know, how could you pack all that food and water for three days for three men under those kind of conditions with the batteries and the... Oh, I know. Yeah, just, I mean, yeah, just the power supply to keep everything running, you know, the, the just the sheer number and weight of batteries that would be required right. to keep all of these, not only the spaceship, but all of the life-sustaining functions, you know, uh, right. temperature control and, you know, oxygen control and food. Yeah. And I mean, just, you know, the, the, the quantities of food and water and, uh, yeah, I mean, just all kinds of things that they would have, you know, spare parts and, uh, you know, tools and stuff. Cause if something goes wrong on the spaceship, you can't, you know, you can't pull out the phone book and call the local repairman to come and fix it, you know? Uh, so you gotta have everything, conceivable for every possible emergency situation for every possible contingency as well as just the basic life-sustaining functions you know the basic things that humans need to survive in that environment is a lot to put on the tiny little capsule that barely holds two men and also happen to have room for a full-size theme bucket. <laughs> <laughs> it cost 60 million bucks. And we, at a time when cars didn't have seatbelts. We didn't have seatbelts. You know? We didn't have car seats. You put your baby on your lap when you rode in the car. You know, in the front seat. You know, like, it, it's just yeah, they, 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 they claim that they designed this uh, thing to be so lightweight and compact that it, they basically like folded up into the size of a piece of luggage. And then when they got there, you know, it just, just you know, sort of uh, wave your magic wand and then <laughs> folds into a, a full-size dune buggy. You know, but, I mean, as I've commented in my post. If we had that technology in the 60s, then why aren't we all carrying our cars into the office today, you know? Right, I mean, yeah, why yeah. Should you, we should be able to just carry our cars around in a briefcase and pop them out anytime we want, right? I mean, if, if they had that amazing technology, you know, almost 50 years ago, then, uh, you know, somebody should have picked that up and ran with it, obviously. <laughs> you know? so. Well, it's... It's interesting, in my research, I saw today that the, the batteries that they had on the dune buggy wouldn't even operate in those temperatures, and, and neither would the battery that they had in the cameras. They had regular D-cell batteries in the cameras. There's regular batteries off the, off the shelf. Uh, so there's no way they're going to operate in a, 100 degrees below zero. 
Yeah, there's a, a lot of questions. Of, yeah, about the camera and the film. You know, right. I mean, how 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 would the film survive the radiation levels and the the, the temperature extremes that to create this perfect uh, perfect photograph, this perfect photographic record that we had? Because not only were, were all our astronauts just just you know awesomely brave and heroic. But they they were also all you know just damn good professional photographers. You got you got to you got to give it to these guys. You know, I mean, uh, they were sent there under the most the most unforgiving circumstances imaginable. Where you know you're struggling just to stay alive. You know, <laughs> to, to get food and water and whatnot. And you're in this bulky spacesuit with a with a helmet on, the visor. Your vision is restricted. You're wearing these heavy padded gloves. And somehow or other, you have to operate a fully manual camera, which is another thing people don't understand. You know, <laughs> we keep talking, we keep going back to the, the technology, you know, the, the dark ages of technology in the '60s. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people who are used to just pulling out their camera and tapping on the screen and taking perfect pictures don't understand that uh, that wasn't possible. And in the 1960s, you know, everything had to be adjusted manually. The exposure, the aperture, the shutter speed, you know, uh, had to be manually focused, and uh, which was which was not easy to do, you know, even you know to, to the degree that these guys did it, you know, where virtually every frame is is perfectly framed, perfectly exposed, perfectly focused. It's just extraordinary. Uh, to you know, to think that they could have gotten that quality of photographs working under those conditions when uh, you know they weren't even professional photographers they were astronauts who were just you know doing that as a side thing supposedly <laughs> and yet uh, just phenomenally talented uh, photographers you got to hand it to them <laughs> and, and, and professional lighting too there's all kinds of you know really artistic lighting done yeah. And the cameras, of course, functioned perfectly under those extreme, you know, environmental conditions. And, you know, the film, uh, you know, the film also uh, performed uh, marvelously well. So, um, yeah, you know. <laughs> you know, they, they make um, the, the, uh, the radiation film badge decimeters that you wear when you when you're work around x-ray machines and stuff like that. They make that out of film because film is so sensitive to radiation that it can, you can measure it on this film. There's no way going through the Van Allen belt and then being on, you know, with no atmosphere on the moon, all this kind of craziness, uh, that this film would not be damaged uh, along the way. The, the, you know, the, the, the pictures would not have made it to the cover of Time magazine <laughs> under any circumstance. It's just, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, I'm an avid but very amateur photographer who, you know, eventually eventually uh, sold out and switched over to digital. But uh, for years, I shot everything on film. And, uh, you know, when I would travel, I would take just, you know, like 20 rolls of film with me, um, you know, because, uh, you know, you didn't, have a, you didn't have a little memory card. <laughs> you could just take unlimited right. pictures of everything you see. <laughs> so, uh, but, I, yeah, I can remember every time I would go through an airport security thing, I would hand the, uh, I, would, I would take my film out of my bag and hand it to the uh, attendant to hand check because I did not want to go in through the x-ray machines because it could damage your film. It could ruin your exposure, especially with higher speed film. And uh, so, yeah, it's very, very, uh, very sensitive. Uh, film stock, uh, you know, 35 millimeter film stock is very, very sensitive to radiation, and yet... Uh, 
you know, performed uh, fantastically. <laughs> yeah, so many people. As did all the other technology. I mean, everything performed flawlessly. You know, I mean, everything. I don't remember, other than you know Apollo thirteen, uh, and even then, you know, everyone made it back alive. It was a happy ending. Um, yeah, just uh, yeah, it was it was it was extraordinary how uh, how good our technology performed. Which may which again raises the question of. So why, when we talk about going back to, quote-unquote, going back to the moon, are they constantly talking about reinventing the wheel when this stuff had a far greater safety record and, and uh, much better, uh, you know, performance record than what we produce now? You know, we, can, we, can, we can't build a ch- uh, space shuttle now that doesn't, uh, you know, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't kill a bunch of people every now and then. But uh, back then we could. So you know, why why reinvent the wheel when we when what we already had was actually better? What do you make of uh, all, all these <laughs> like the way they name these missions, you know, like Apollo and you know, like, like these. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, to some degree, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know where the Apollo name specifically came from. Um, but they all seem to be named like that, the Greek gods and all kinds of, you know, <laughs> good Gemini, you know. Gemini uh, and what was, the, what was the other one? Uh, Copernic, I didn't mean, you know what I mean? It's like, what's going on with, like, good, Richard Hogan has all those theories about the, what do you think of Richard Hogan and all those theories? I don't know that from, is he the guy that claims there's a, that there's uh, alien uh, structures? Yeah, he said on the, that, and that they can be they can be discerned in some of the pictures, uh, the, like the outlines of like alien bases or towers or some glass domes and yeah, glass whatnot. Stru- yeah, remains of glass structures on the moon. Yeah. Yeah, I I'm very skeptical of that. I you know I mean I don't know you know I mean like as we said from the beginning you know that's one of the one of the prevailing theories out there is that we did make it and that we. Uh, you know, ran, we encountered uh, hostile aliens who warned us away, and that that's why we've never gone back. But yeah, to me, that seems pretty convenient uh, rationalizing of why we've never repeated that amazing feat. You know, some 50 years later. Um, so I, yeah, I, I'm not inclined to buy into that. But uh, what do you think? Well, because it establishes the theory that we we went there. You know? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, the base, yeah, you know, at the root of the theory is the acknowledgement that, you know, we did go there. So, you know, I mean, in, in essence, it, it ends up supporting the government story. I mean, it throws right. in an alien angle, but, uh, you know, I, I, think the, I think the government is, is actively encouraged belief in alien life and UFOs for a very long time anyway, so. But it also seems to me that uh, if, if you can't see, because his photograph, he does some kind of a contrast. Uh, analyzation with his photographs. If you can't see structures and that kind of stuff, it would seem it would be like scaffolding and, and parts of the the lighting and stuff that would reflect. Yeah, like light, yeah, lighting tower, you know, camouflage right. light towers and stuff like that. Yeah. People say, where, where was this film? Well, you may never be able to identify where it was filmed because the, the, the backdrops may have been just, you know, uh, a sheet, a screen, of you know, a very primitive, uh, I mean, nowadays they would do it within a, like, green screen or whatever it is, technology, but 
back in those days, it was as simple as, you know, hanging <laughs> up a fake backdrop in right. the scene, you know. So, uh, you know, there may there may be no place in the world that, that matches, you know, the, the ge- geological features that, you know, you can see in the videos because it may, have, it may have all just been fake backgrounds. And what he's identifying, yeah, could be structures, you know, holding lighting or holding the backgrounds and, yeah, that sort of thing, artifacts of... Uh, of the production, so to speak. It seems like a lot of the uh, uh, the, the still photography is miniatures as well. You know, because uh, some of it, the scale was, <laughs> to the, you know, it's miniature because the scale to the background. They, they use the same mountains in the background over and over. You know, and then but everything in the foreground just moved on. And, and guys who are real serious photographers have done a lot of real serious research on this. Um, you know, we're getting down to the last half hour. You know what? If you want to take some phone calls. Uh, you can call in at 702-605-4894, or you can Skype me at ed.oberman on Skype if you have questions for Dave McGowan. And nobody complains that they always want to ask uh, Dave questions. Uh, so tonight you have that opportunity. Let um, me see my notes here. It's so funny, you know, this whole thing is just it's such a crazy story. Hey. Yeah, what about the whole thing about no stars in the background? Yeah, that's another huge anomaly in the photographs. Is uh, yeah, the presence of no star, no, yeah, no stars whatsoever. And despite the fact that you know uh, we've been kind of led to believe that, uh, given the the lack of atmosphere and the no no uh, you know light pollution, right? Um, <laughs> that they should have been presented with a you know the most dazzling, uh, you know, light show imaginable, um, you know, well beyond anything we can get here on Earth. You know, I mean, there are places here, like, up on the top of, like, Mount Haleakala or something in Maui where, uh, <laughs> where you can just get dazzling starscapes because you're up high, the atmosphere is thin, there's no light pollution. and But, uh, you know, nothing compared to what, what they would have experienced on the moon. And... Um, yeah, it should have just been an absolutely dazzling show, and yet... Uh, and yet <laughs> they forgot to bring a telescope. They never brought a telescope out. They brought the Tang. They had the Tang with them. They had the go-kart. They had their, you know, all that fun stuff. By the way, too, there's, there's videos, too, man, of these uh, astronauts uh, lifting up their, their gold screens off their face. Oh, really? Yeah. Now, what the hell was that? Yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah, no, that's another thing. Yeah, the yeah, they shouldn't have. Uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely should not have been able to do that. But uh, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the more you look at it, the more anomalies you can find. And at some point, it, all, it just almost becomes like laughable, you know, except for the fact that that so many people still, you know, uh, cling to it. Um, and where'd all that yeah. money go? You know what I mean? It, had, it was a ton of money. Those, those go-karts, man, were, were $60 million <laughs> a piece. Me and my friends, I remember when I was a kid, I was 15 years old, we chipped in, we bought a go-kart, 99 bucks. <laughs> and it worked great, man. <laughs> it was even smaller and easier to get up on it in the shuttle. <laughs> but it wasn't a moon buggy. No, it wasn't. No. But we did drink Tang. I know we put a little vodka in our Tang. I'm sure we did. Listen, we got a break coming up. We've got a nice long five-minute break. You can uh, go get a smoke or whatever go to the bathroom. Uh, we're joined by Mike Gray from Parlay. Uh, his own is a radio show host from Parlay on uh, tjmorris.com. It's going to be coming up on uh, Thursday nights. 
Um, so we'll, we'll be right back after this message with more of uh, Jay McGowan, the moon landing, uh, Boston bombing, uh, all different kind of topics, and um, the author of uh, Weird Scenes Inside the Canyon, uh, Understanding the F-Word, Fascism, we got to understand, and also to uh, Program to Kill. So we'll be right back after these messages. Okay, welcome back to the Opperman Report. I am your host, private investigator Ed Opperman. Uh, uh, show is brought to you by uh, Audible.com. Go to AudibleTrial.com. Uh, Opperman Report, get yourself a free audiobook. Sign up for free, uh, get a free audiobook. Now we're joined by uh, Mike Gray, who is the host of Parlay, uh, the hit new show. Uh, Going to be debuting on Thursday on the 12th on CJ Moore's radio. His first guest is Mike, I believe it is uh, Sean Dave Martin. Yes. Very good. Okay. See, that's see, Mike, I'm on top of you. Mike is also the owner of InfinityHomePlans.com, one of our sponsors. And he's a, a frequent caller, and we appreciate his calls. And I'm going to start recording our calls off the air, Mike, because I think those are a lot more fun than the one <laughs> Sure. <laughs> what kind of question do you got for uh, Dave McGowan? Oh, hi, Dave. How are you doing? I'm uh, hanging in there. Hey, just so, just so you know, um, the uh, moon rover was hung on its was hung upright on the limb, and when they landed, it was on a ramp, and then they lowered the ramp at a 45 and rolled it off. Are you sure, Mike? Yes, yes. It was not. It, it was not in in the the vehicle. It was on, it was it was put on a like a a ramp that was upright against the limb. It's in it's in the uh, in the pictures or in the um, what do you call it, the technical manuals, the tech technical specs. Wouldn't that adversely affect the flight characteristics of the? Uh, hey, absolutely. <laughs> you were saying, you know, you got some. But they had all like, kinds of stuff hanging off that thing. They had ladders and you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. And and what I want to know is when they there was no um uh when they had a, when they were going to leave they had to completely get in their suits and open the door, which would completely you know uh, decompress the 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 environment, right? And yeah. then they would go outside, and then they'd have to get in with their suits, with the moon dust, close the door, and then uh, take time to refill the cabin with air, and then take their suits off. You would think, and to adjust the temperature uh, inside, because... Uh, right, right. Uh, depending on whether it was in the shade or in the sun, uh, you know, the temperature is either going to be very, very hot well, or was, very, it was very always cold. in the sun. It was always in the sun. Right. Yeah. So, okay, so now how long is it to when you get into your car, a car in 2015, you know, that has, you know, a, a much better computer than the, the, the computer on the limb, <laughs> okay, and you get into your car now on a hot day in Nevada, okay, it's 120 degrees outside. You get in your car. How long does it take that car to cool off? Well, that, yeah. that's what I'm saying. What kind of AC system do they have? They don't go into that. 
Not even yeah, the suit. And you know that no one company made the suit? Like, one company made the glove, another company made the helmet, another company made the boots and the booties. Well, Dave, Dave's my age. What kind of AC systems did we have in 1963 uh, and 1964? Uh, not very good ones, I wouldn't think, to, uh, to cool a capsule that's basically made of aluminum foil, you know, so it, it doesn't have a huge amount of, uh, you know, insulation value, you wouldn't think, sitting there baking in a 2,500 degree or whatever it is. Uh, what, what is it? I can't even remember. 250 uh, boiling. There's boiling water around your home. Let's imagine this, okay? Because I lived in the Bronx. And when this thing came, came down, okay, in 1969, I was living in the Bronx. And the whole house, you know, the whole apartment we lived in, we had one little window AC unit. <laughs> to cool off one room, okay? Now imagine if we did boiling water all around that room, what it would take to turn on this little, a big giant, you couldn't even lift this thing, but some of these guys got them on their backpacks to cool them off. How is this possible? Well, yeah, you know, I mean, you know in the movie, I'm sorry. No, go, go ahead. Well, and plus, uh, remember Tom Hanks in the movie Apollo 13 says that the skin of the uh, the module is thinner than a Pepsi can. Yeah, yeah, they said that, that uh, I mean, there are, there are reports, you know, uh, published reports of, of uh, the, the workers had to be very careful when they were working on the interiors of these because if they dropped a tool, it could literally just pierce, just puncture, just pierce its way right through the, through the skin of this uh, Capsule. So, you know, I mean, how well insulated can that thing be sitting in the blazing sun at, you know, some ungodly temperature? And I mean, how much power, how much power, how many batteries would be required just to keep the AC system running constantly for the entire time that they were there, you know? And recharging um, their backpack. It's just ridiculous. Well, have, and then, have you got. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> well, I was going to. Uh, have you ever got? Have you guys read ever um, ever read Jay Widener's or Jay Widener's work on that on Spielberg um, faking the moon landing? I see. I've read some of it. I haven't not in depth. I know uh, he's he's kind of like the go-to guy on that. Yeah, yeah. His theory is that during the making of 2001: A Space Odyssey from 1964 to 1968, while they were make that movie took four years to make, and while he's saying that while they were making that movie. There's moonshots in that movie and moon scenes in that movie. That while he was making that movie, he was simultaneously in those studios faking all the moon landings, the, the studio shots for the moon landings. Again, I mean, you know, it all it all makes sense. The timeline and and you know the the technology that he was working with and uh, you know various other uh, events in his life and symbolism and in the movies and whatnot. Um, you know, it's it's certainly whether well ever whether we can ever say with certainty, you know, is another question entirely. But uh, it certainly seems to the pieces seem to fit together pretty well. Yeah, it, they would need like a, a real serious film. But then again, if they had this guy with this kind of a uh, talent like a uh, Kubrick, why would why did these crappy uh, uh, videos and, and stuff? It, it, and, and all the shadows, like real serious photographers have examined the, these shadows and stuff like that. So, you know, and that's a big debate. People say, well, okay, well, you look for, and so then people look on the internet, well, let me look for, for the shadows and figure it out. 
real serious guys have looked at every single photograph, you know, in order, that the way these uh, astronauts took the pictures and have examined the shadows and, and the, the lighting, the, the backlighting. There's one image of a, an astronaut where the, the sun is at his back. There's no doubt about that. So his whole front of his face should be black, dark, but it, it's well lit in the front as well. And these are right. impossible. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the pictures show uh, evidence of supplemental lighting. Um, right. You know, I mean, he's, this was a very very harsh lighting, uh, you know, circumstances uh, to say the least. Which was again made photography very very difficult. You know, I mean, the, the contrasts that were just uh, you know beyond anything that, that we experience here on Earth. Um, you know, this is this is a land of extremes. You know, it's either pitch black or blinding light. It's either you know boiling hot or freezing cold, you know, so, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, there, there's just so many questions raised by so many aspects of, of the whole thing, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, hopefully, uh, more and more people are gonna, will, will, will ultimately wake up to just, you know, how many parts of the story just, just don't add up at all. But how many people spend the time to really, you know, look at all these, these various issues and really think for themselves and think logically and even try and figure it out. Because like I said, I remember as a kid, you know, when my mom, when the thing was landing in the water, I remember when that thing crash landed in the water, the splash landing, and they were looking for it. You know, I was a kid. I, I wanted to see them, you know, come out, you know, come out and go, oh, hey, look, let's clap. But it took so long, I went out to play and I came back in and they still hadn't found this thing. And I said, how could they not find it? You know, but the ocean's big. <laughs> but, you know, so is the moon is big. <laughs> you know, the space is big. It's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's just no way that such, you know, evenly exposed photographs could be taken in that, that kind of a hostile environment. You know, as you said, uh, you know, the, the things that are in shadow should be absolutely black and, and things that are not should be, should be, you know, just very, very bright. And in picture after picture, we see, we can see details in shadows that just should not, absolutely should not be there without supplemental lighting. And obviously there's no supplemental lighting available on the moon. You have one and only one light source, uh, you know, that shines in one and only one direction. Well, not and, really, uh, no, because there was earth light too as well. There, there was, was, there was earth light hitting the, hitting the moon, uh, the, the reflection from the sun on the earth to the moon, which was very bright. Because when you see inside uh, one of the, the capsules one time, they have the earth light shining through the capsule. So uh, earth light is way more brighter than moonlight. So anyway, yeah, that's, yeah, that's that's uh, okay, yeah, I can yeah, I can, can buy I that. Yeah. Can I say something about that? Hey, go ahead. Uh, when you see the Earth from when they're on the moon, okay, the Earth is the size of the moon, from, and the Earth would have been, think about it, the Earth is bigger than the moon. So yeah, they they made a mistake. The Earth should have been like three times or six times bigger. See what I'm saying? Um, yeah. When yeah. they were on the moon, they're looking at Earth, and it's the size of the moon from from <laughs> like they're looking at the moon from Earth. Right. So they, yeah. they messed up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking if you're looking at a much larger object from the very right. same distance, then obviously the larger object is still going to be larger, you know, proportionally. Uh, so yeah, you're absolutely right. 
My dog is uh, going nuts right now. That's okay. You are the audience is going nuts too. I'm surprised she <laughs> stayed quiet this long. I guess she didn't want me to get through the whole interview without. And, uh, and also, there was no uh, the camera they used didn't have any kind of refrigeration or protective cowling or protective temperature uh, to protect it from the you know 250 degrees. Or, or the batteries on the rover. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right, because a battery has to have uh, acid to uh, to work, liquid, right? So yeah, but in the specs for the uh, for the rover, uh, they said that the batteries could not operate in those conditions. The batteries in the, the cameras were, were off the shelf, D sized batteries that you can buy right. at, at, at the you know, at Kmart. <laughs> you know. But if you were to take film and put it in a tu- an oven at 250 degrees, it would bubble up. True. Yeah. Absolutely. It would. It would. Yeah. Would cur- and, and and the radiation as well. I mean, right. these cameras should have been like lead lined or something, you know. And then, and then there's still a problem of, of changing. How do they change the film? How do they change the rolls of film? No, they show them doing that. They doing it out in the dust. One of the things I saw today was that the gloves, that they had like gardening gloves on. They didn't, they didn't have the gloves that they show you. It, they had, they were using like gardening gloves because otherwise there's no way with those gloves because they showed another thing that in zero atmosphere, if you had those gloves, they're all puffed up and there's no way you could make a fist even in them. You know? Yeah, they have to be they have to be integrated into the suit and the whole suit is pressurized. So, um, yeah, I, I don't. Know. I mean, I, I don't even know how you would operate the, the exposure and, and aperture and what and focus yeah. controls, let alone how you would change the film. You know what else is? You know what else is funny? When they did the press conference, the three astronauts, they looked. They didn't look happy or excited. They were like looking down and dour, you know. And pe- people were asking, well, what, what it was it like to be on the moon and see the stars? And the one, um, I can't remember, uh, Neil Armstrong, there's three. They, the one guy looks at me and goes, well, I didn't really see any stars. I, I don't really recall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did not recall. I did you not notice that. went all the way to the moon and forgot to look at the stars. <laughs> yeah, and, and there are no stars on the moon. When yeah. they took pictures, you don't see any star, a star field at all, no stars. And yeah, they go, well, oh, that's because you need an atmosphere. They'll go, oh, that's because you need an atmosphere to see stars. What? Well, some, some people claim that it was because the uh, they were taking, uh, you know, very short exposures uh, and that, uh, you know, the, the, the lens uh, aperture or whatever wasn't open long enough to, to capture the light from the stars. But uh, that's that's questionable at best given, you know, how bright these stars should have shined and, of course, the prevailing, you know, theory, opinion on that is that it would have been absolutely impossible for NASA to have faked the exactly. star field. Exactly. They would have been, you know, they would have had to be in perfect compliance in each and every shot, all from different angles. I mean, in the, you know, the tech... It would have just been a technical nightmare trying to accurately represent... The, what the star field would actually look like from from all of these different angles, and, and any astronomer would have immediately been able to pick out any anomaly. So they just figured it was easier to just leave them out, and so that, so you will not find any star fields in any of the uh, any of the picks at all. 
Because just imagine when you were camping, you were camping out in the desert or Mount Charleston, and you look up at the stars, you know. Especially if you're from New York. I was a kid from New York. The first time I went to Arizona and I saw the stars, you know, it, it's mind-blowing. Just imagine that from the moon. But they didn't bring a, they didn't bring a telescope. They didn't bring a, you know. Binoculars or nothing? No, they got the, the tank. They, you know, they're working on the tank. Yeah. And, it, and, and they took hundreds and hundreds of pictures. So even if we accept NASA's explanation that, uh, you know, they, they weren't taking long enough exposures to, to capture the star field, why didn't they even take a single picture specifically? Of, I mean, it right. must have been just a dazzling sight. You would think they would have wanted to, to certainly capture that and specifically expose for these star fields in some of their pictures, right? It would have been overwhelming, you know, to look up and see those clusters of stars. Because when, you, when you're out in the desert, man, you see that for the first time. It's just, it's, you know, it's not like the yeah, sky. Yeah. You're not going to turn your camera up there and yeah. take some pictures of that? I mean, come on. That's well, just, you know, there's this, have you guys seen this thing about, uh, maybe I shouldn't bring this up, about, there's a flat earth theory, that yeah. the earth is actually flat. I don't believe that, but if you make a good point, Who's laughing? Is that you, Ed? <laughs> that was a dog laughing. Oh, That's yeah. how bad it is. Well, they do make one good point about the Earth rotates, right, in 24 hours, right? Yeah. You know? How come it's the same time distance from New York to L.A., five hours, about four and a half, five hours, from L.A. to New York? If the Earth is rotating, yeah. right, if you, took up, if you took off from New York to L.A., then L.A. is coming at you, right? Yeah, yeah I know, but it's, it's not... Uh, it, okay, Mike. Yeah. You're correct. And if you went into a lower Earth orbit, that would make, be, make, make a difference. But just... Uh, plus, there's a tailwind, too. There's a, there's a tailwind and there's a, you know, a headwind. So... Oh, okay. Yeah. That, the, the in, in, that, in that altitude, it wouldn't matter. It's insignificant. So if you went up high enough, if you just launched yourself like straight up, could you just like hover for a certain amount of time well, and cut that's, that's the point the guy the, the, I mean, well, you would, right? Would well, you, listen, the, the guy makes the point that the guy, remember the guy a few, uh, about a year ago went up 80,000 feet in that weather balloon and yeah. jumped down? Okay, it took him three and a half, about three and a half hours to go up to 80,000 feet and he jumped down. Well, he, in three and a half hours, he should have landed in the Pacific Ocean, well, you know, but he landed in right where he took off, in New Mexico. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah he went just... straight up. It took three and a half hours for him to go up. Then he jumps out, and it takes some time to free fall down, and landed right roughly where he took off. Okay, let me tell but you. But you would, you would think that if the Earth is spinning in that three and a half hours, he, would have, he should have landed somewhere in the Pacific Ocean. But does but doesn't uh, the Earth's atmosphere travel with it? How if the if the wind blows? I don't, I don't know. Which way? How? You want to know what, man? One time, and this is stuck in my head forever. Okay, I saw John Travolta when he was a kid, and he was talking about how he was taking flying lessons. This is way back. Welcome back, Cotter, boy in the bubble time. Okay, when he was really young. And he was talking about taking flying lessons and he loved to fly. And he was talking about how we should be able to fly aircraft into lower Earth orbit and the rotation of the Earth would make us get to the other end of the country, the other end of the world, in, in a couple hours. We could fly to Australia in a couple hours. I think it was on uh, Johnny Carson. And Johnny Carson said to him, well, John, if you know this, don't these people, don't, 
they know this? Like, I got thinking he might even have said NASA. He said, don't they know this? And Travolta says, yeah, they should, you know? And I've been looking for that uh, video on YouTube. I could never find it. It was a fascinating uh, explanation of how we should be able to fly into lower Earth orbit and as the Earth rotates, wind up in Australia like in, 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 a, in an hour. Yeah. I, it's, uh, I, I hadn't heard that before, but, uh, you know, Vinny Barbarino said it then. <laughs> well, you know what? The guy has a 747 in his driveway. <laughs> you know, yeah, he flies all the time. That's, yeah. yeah. Uh, Harrison Ford, you and Harrison Ford just crashed his plane yesterday here in, uh, on a golf course in, by Santa Monica or something. And did you notice how they said he was flying solo, on solo? <laughs> <laughs> And he apparently walked away virtually unharmed, yeah. which was pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, he's he's okay. He's 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 in okay. Uh, Seven years old. They said he's been flying for twenty years, so he learned how to fly when he was in the fifties. You know, there's still hope for us, Dave. There's, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just I just took up guitar four months ago. It's my midlife crisis, so you know we'll see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, all right. Well, we I can't afford to get a pilot's license. I got to lower my sights a little bit. <laughs> and, and and Ed, you know the other thing about the uh, astronauts, none of them really parlayed that into. Oh, oh there you go, right. parlay. Okay. Like you never really saw any of them with Johnny Carson or any of the late shows or the talks, you know, the talk show starts like Mike Douglas or Dick Cavett. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. I don't. I was too young to. Really, there was a lot of talk shows back in those days, though, that I'd forgotten about. Yeah, Mike Douglas and Dinah Shore had a big one during the day. She was kind of the Oprah Winfrey of her time. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. They never, like, really promoted themselves or wrote books. No, they wrote some books. They wrote some books, and they all seem to be living very well. Because, uh, you know, that guy that goes around interviewing them and kind of ambushes them to they put your hand in the Bible? That right. guy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they got punched in the nose, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, he was a jerk to him. I mean, well, I'd like to see the unedited uh, versions of those interviews because if he was being a jerk on the parts that he puts out, you know, I can imagine what <laughs> what caused them to kick him out of their house, you know. <laughs> but you're right. You would think these guys, these astronauts, you know, uh, did they kind of this guy just showed up off the street, wants to do an interview with him? They said, "Yeah, come on in," you know. Well, he, no, no, he ambushes them at, ho- at like, uh, resorts where they're... No, one of these off. guys invited him into his home. The one that the, uh, they, they uh, alleged works for the CIA, and his son said, hey, maybe we should get the CIA to come in here and whack them. Did you guys see that? No, what did he say? Did you say the CIA to what? This, maybe, Dad, maybe we should call the CIA to come out and whack them. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that one. Dave, what do you think? When you see these, uh, these press conferences, do you think that they, they were, like, uh, brainwashed, uh, hypnotized, or do you think they're just in on it? I am losing you. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm, I'm yeah, asking you. Oh, you say that, you keep saying that on me. Yeah, I'm asking you about the uh, uh, the press conferences. Do you think that they... um? They were uh, hypnotized or brainwashed or something, or do you think that they... Uh... The initial one was pretty awkward, I guess, say, which uh, which has been on YouTube for years now. You can pull up the... Uh, when they, uh, Which is when the, he made the comment about the stars, I believe, that was referenced earlier. Yeah. And uh, 
Yeah, they don't come off as uh, they, they they come off as as people who are like seem almost ashamed of themselves. I mean, here here they are. They've just come back. They're, they're being hailed as, as these great American heroes. I mean, they they are. You know, they're more in the spotlight and more adored than pretty much anybody on the planet at the time. And yet, during the press conference, their body language is just just uh, couldn't be more out of line with that. You know, they just seem very, very awkward. Like they'd rather be anywhere else than be there and and uh, you know be, be doing anything else than answering the questions. So, uh, yeah, I think I think their body language in that speaks volumes. Yeah, and one thing you can't hide is is shame, you know, that, that look of shame on your face and humiliation that we were talking about those cops before. Hey, we're going to be dropping some stations. We just dropped the PSN radio. Uh, it's for Secret Night to those guys. We're going to be dropping Talk Superstation as well. But I want to give a plug to uh, Patty Walking Turtle, who's uh, producing for us tonight for the Awake Radio Network at all the stations. And uh, Saturday at 3 p.m. Uh, CST Central Time, uh, Where the Wild Things Grow on Awake Radio Network, uh, Mondays 4 p.m., Turtle Talk with Walking Turtle and Barbara Three Crow on Scottish Sovereigns on the Land and Awake Radio Network. Uh, so uh, all those shows, you can catch Patty Walking Turtle, who is a real saint and helps us out with uh, producing our show and stuff like that. And uh, very fascinating shows that she does on different stations. Um, so we're getting down to the end of the show. Uh, Dave, you want to hang out a little while longer and take some calls? Uh, uh, I don't have too much more time, actually. i got to... Yeah, I got a, I got an engagement I got to get to here very soon. Dave never hangs, but that's okay, man. Listen, Dave, I, you know I'm happy to get you, bro. You know I, I you know, dude, I love. When uh, you come I'm, I'm always love doing your show. It's, uh, yeah, it's always a pleasure, and uh, yeah, I uh, one one of one of the uh, one of the few out there who who I uh, never 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 really tosses me a curveball. <laughs> you know, a lot of the shows I go on, I just. So I'll just get these these questions just out of left field, you know. And, um, I hear you. <laughs> you know, I know, so, yeah, I mean, so many people have their own agenda. Yeah. You know, they want to skew everything to fit their own, you know, what view that they're pitching. And uh, I, yeah, I never really get that from you. So I, I always uh, always enjoy doing your show. No, thank you and very I'm much. I could stay longer, but yeah, unfortunately, I thought we were yeah, I thought we were going to be done at seven. So I. Uh, have another engagement that I need to get to. No sweat, my friend. Oh, hey, Dave. Yeah. Hey, check out Betsy McGee's work on the Boston bombing. It's pretty interesting. Betsy McGee? Betsy McGee, yeah. She's on YouTube. M-C-G-E-E? M-C-G-E-E, yeah. Betsy McGee. She does unbelievable work, and she did a really bunch of cool things on the Boston bombing. Yeah, real good. I'll check it out. And also, you know that the that, that Zarnef, uh, his friends say that that's not him in the courtroom. Oh, really? Yeah. They're like, that's oh, not him. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, there's just so much weirdness surrounding this case, you know, and, uh, you know, the whole question of what happened to the older brother and then and, and the friend who was, you know, basically just executed by a, by some kind of FBI hit team or something, and uh, you know, I, I, in his own home while he was being questioned. Um, yeah. it's, 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 there's just so much about it that just reeks to high heaven. When two FBI yeah. agents that fell out of a helicopter. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Oh yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, and they were involved in uh, capturing the Zarnoff brothers, right? No, not at all. No, they they were guys who did, they were the guys who went to the the house 
and interviewed the son. Oh, of that's the, right. That's right. That was yeah. They they killed that guy. Yeah. Now, how could that be? How could these? Now, listen. I'm an investigator. Two FBI agents. You go and interview these guys. You hear? You got a tip off from Russia that these two guys, these two brothers, are planning terrorism. You go visit them at their home, and then the biggest case that you know that plops in your jurisdiction you've ever had in your life. The Boston bombing shows up, and you don't say. Hmm, gee whiz. Did I interview anybody uh, like that? You know, did it look like these two guys in this picture? You know, nothing? You know? They interviewed him for six hours, and then they said that he jumped at them. No, 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 I'm talking about the two FBI agents who fell out of the helicopter. They interviewed the Sarnoff brothers before the bombing. Oh, okay. They were in their apartment before the bombing. So when the bombing took place, you'd think they would have had it like, what we should do is we should issue the FBI. I can solve this. We give the FBI a little pad and a pencil, and every time they go and interview somebody, they write a little note in their pad and pencil. When they see them on TV a month later, they'll know who they interviewed. Right. Yeah. You know. I'm I'm fascinated by the notion that uh, friends and family are saying that it's not him in the courtroom. Because that's a question that's that's come up. Uh, you know, I just posted something about the trial on Facebook today. That's one of the first questions that come up is, you know, why 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 is the kid going along with this? Uh, you know, and, why, is, and why remember, would he allow himself to be railroaded like this? Hey, and know? remember, Michelle Obama visited a Saudi Arabian kid in the hospital in Boston. Remember that? Yeah. And there were pictures of him smiling. He had this big, cheesy smile. Michelle Obama went and visited him in the hospital, some Saudi Arabian prince or something. Uh, yeah. And then, and then when they had supposedly they had someone in the courthouse, there was a bomb scare in the Boston uh, courthouse that they had ev- they evacuated the the whole courthouse in Boston. Today? No, 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 no. When the Boston bombing happened, they said we got a suspect, and he's at the courthouse. And then there was a bomb scare, and they evacuated everyone in the. There was a bunch the, of bomb scares. There was one at the library too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what were they covering up? What were they hiding? And that that kind of stuff happens. A lot of crazy stuff happens during those, those big uh, uh, false alarms and false calls and weird stuff, and stuff that gets covered up too. I think they had multiple patsies there, and and uh, they just decided to go with the Zarnoff brothers. They were their second or third choice. Could be quite possible. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I'm unfortunately I got to sign off, guys. But uh, it's been a real pleasure, and uh, good luck with the show and all that. And uh, you got it, Dave. Thank you very much, Dave McGowan, for coming on, man. Uh, one of my Dave, favorite. Come guys. back, we love you, man. Yeah, we really do, man. Uh, anytime, I'd love to do the show. Yeah, it's uh, always a pleasure. So, um, yeah, I will. Uh, we will talk again soon, and uh, you guys have a good weekend. Good night, brother. Bye. Right. Bye. Dave McGowan. Okay. <clears throat> well, I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. I thought it was a lot of fun. And uh, whether you agree with the uh, Dave McGowan and the rest that were on that show, uh, it certainly should be thought-provoking. And I feel that it was a fine example of critical thinking. Um uh, again, reasonable, reflective thinking focused on deciding what to believe or do. Um, maybe something else here. Uh, 
Uh, oh, includes. Hey. Uh, what's that? Something else here. Niggers and gators, chicken away eating players, triple cage, pigeons, like moon men. What the heck's happening there? Talking your mom every night. Moon men been soon since days of killing Jews. Never lose, never choose to flinch Jews. Something to us. Talk go through us. You're a mom walk to us. Get on the race bus. Screw us. To us. Yeah. KKK. Somebody is interfering with the show. Get up the bus. There I not stand your ripe cherry pussy. Bang every porch monkey easily, busily. Recently, niggers Somebody tried. is. Somebody is interfering with the show. So with that, I'm going to try to get off. Six and niggers need to hang on trees, and I just love your racist ways. I guess that's why their mom is flat and you're so great. Somebody has hijacked the show. Hang on trees. And I just love to race this way. I guess that's why your mom is black and you're so great. I put niggers underground without a sound. You minorities can't step to me. All specs need to go back to Mexico. Every GB stealing money from you and me. Now, who's the... Where the heck did that come from? Anyways, my apologies for that. I'm going to end recording. Pushing up six. Go back to Africa. I don't know why I'm black. Oh, yeah. Because they look. Somebody has hijacked my computer. Somebody has hijacked my computer. And all, all this cursing and the swearing. None of this represents me. Oh my goodness. I guess that's why they're all this black and you're so great. Moon man, moon man.